Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Welcome to episode nine of Bible Unmasked. If this is your first time tuning in and you're wondering what Bible Unmasked is, it is a deep dive into the Bible. So what's happening as we go through 2021, we are reading from beginning to end of the entire Bible. Um, what's happening is each week we're sharing a plan that's shared on each ser- um, Sabbath service and on social media. And what we're asking is for you to invite your family, your members, your friends, your coworkers um, to study it together. And then whatever questions come up during your study, feel free to text it to us at 954-388-8780. And those questions will be answered at the next episode of Bible Unmasked. Um, What's happening is each week we're having one of our pastoral staff members and they are reading through it with a host like myself. Um, On the first week, we have Pastor Joe. Second week, we have Pastor Jen and Principal Stevenson. On the third week, we have Pastor Dexter. And on the fourth week, we have Pastor McCoy, who's with us this evening. And on the fifth week, we have Pastor Paul Anderson. Um, So Pastor McCoy, thank you for being here and agreeing to do this. Um, If you could, could you please pray for us so we could begin? And then we'll go into a little bit more about Bible and Mast. Thank you. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for the ability to study your words. We ask that your spirit will guide us as we reflect on your loving character and on your attributes of justice and mercy. May you lead us into all truth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And in a moment, Pastor McCoy will just kind of go a little bit over what was discussed last week. And then also after that, we'll go a little bit over what's happening now and as we go through Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 25. Um, so Pastor McCoy, could you please really briefly just kind of give us a synopsis of what happened in um, Numbers 16 through 36? Right. So the the book of Numbers on a, on a whole, um, including the chapters you mentioned, um, records how Israel lived out their covenant relationship with God. Um rather whether in obedience or disobedience and we find that for 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 the most part you know we are we are seeing some disobedience and what we find is that because the generation that left um egypt and were the ones who were initially you know engaged in that covenant relationship because they 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 refused to live into god's will and god's obedience in, in obedience to god's laws we find that god uh, prevented that generation from entering into the promised land. God destroyed that generation, but God also raised up a generation, right? Um, a new generation to go and to inherit the promised land. And that, that new generation is also bound to this new covenant, bound to the covenant that was, was with the old generation. And we see them preparing to enter the promised land. And, and that's kind of how numbers, um, re- re- records the history. Um, of, of, of God's people. Mm. 
Okay. And then now as we go into Deuteronomy 1 through 25, which honestly surprised me as I, I personally have never read through Deuteronomy. I've read bits and pieces, but actually going through and reading the whole chapter, you're kind of blown away at what you actually read in this chapter. So Pastor McCoy, again, could you please give us a, a, brief, um, a brief synopsis of what we are about to cover in um, Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 25? Right. So the book of Deuteronomy and by its name itself tells us that it is a second account, right? Or this as, as the second law, the second instruction, uh, which which uh, repeats or, or tells us again what happened in, in the books um, from Exodus you know, through, through Numbers. Um, but one of the things that we recognize in Deuteronomy is how strong it is on recording, on, on rec recalling what has happened in the past and using that as a basis for how the people will relate to God, right? And many have suggested that in some ways the book of Deuteronomy uh, has elements and reflects what... Um, many call Hittite and Vassal treaties in the past. And, and these treaties were, were between superior beings and lesser beings, and, and sometimes between kings and, and their subjects. And some have suggested that to make the, 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 this connection with God as a covenant being and the, the, the reinforcement of that through the, the narrative and, and the text of Deuteronomy, it somehow bears resemblance um, and uses the Hittite treaty format and form and sometimes content as a motivational factor to, to encourage Israel to remain faithful to God. Um, and we see that coming out in, in, in various aspects. Um, and, and in particular, um, in the section that is coming up for next week, um, where the blessings and the curses are, 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 are presented. Mm, very nice. Okay. So... We received quite a few questions, uh, so we have a, a quite a bit to cover this evening. Because I guess, this, as I mentioned, even I was blown away as I was reading some of this thing, um, some of the things in Deuteronomy. So just right. to kind of jump right in, we have Deuteronomy. Um, this question is based on Deuteronomy three, um, chapter. I mean, chapter three, verse six. Now, this question, the chapter. I mean, the verse says. We completely destroyed the kingdom of Basham, just as we had destroyed King Sihon and Heshbon. We destroyed all the people in every town we conquered, men, women, and children alike. Now, this question came up previously when we discussed Exodus, but mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a pretty important one. And it says, how can a God that is love utterly destroy people, including children? It's, it's a tough one, and it, it paints a tough image of God, right? As this harsh, retributive being. And in, 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 in some ways, the image comes out of the, the, res, the response of people to God, right? Um, because God is a covenant being, and, and as I mentioned a while ago, even though they're dealing with... Um, people's word, they're going to conquer, right? It is a tough image to see God commanding the destruction of, I mean, even children. And so we're going to find 
going through the narrative and of, of, of Deuteronomy, that we're going to find, begin to find reasons as to why God would kind of even suggest killing children, right? Because this is kind of like polar opposite, a zero tolerance, right? A zero, zero tolerance yeah. um, rules of engagement. Because God, you find that God gives them some rules of engagement in in terms of how they're to engage with the with the peoples they're going to conquer, and this is a very difficult one to to argue away that God, because these people are, first of all, ungodly, as, as the text would suggest, us, suggest and have us to understand that these people are opposed to God, right? This is kind of the, the, the portrayal of the Hittites and all these people. They are opposed to God's will and their opposition to God's will meets God's judgment, right? Um, it's opposition to God's will um, in response to God's people and the response for God is judgment. And unfortunately, judgment even to, uh, to the children. But it, notice, even God is dealing with Israel, right? Um, are we going to see this? God says, you know, um, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and, and keep my commandment. But, you know, uh, allowing, um, passing on the, the punishment from, from generation to generation, right? And it's kind yeah. of a similar way, you know, God is dealing with Israel that... Well, the way in which God is dealing with Israel's enemies or the people Israel will conquer is how God is going to, in another way, deal with Israel, right? So we're going to see that it's not just people who are not Israelites, but non-Israelites, but Israel will find themselves, when they disobey God, come into a similar situation. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a good way to use it. To use Israel as an example is perfect because it, yeah. it does shed some light on picturing God and how he even deals with us. Um, so the next one is from Deuteronomy 4, verses 24. And that one says, uh, the Lord your God is a devouring fire. He is a jealous God. And the question simply says, why is God a jealous God? And is it okay for us to be jealous? All right. Take for instance, and... This is kind of a, ca a case of, of missional dating, but, but I'm just going to use it for, for instance. Say, for instance, uh, there is one individual who finds himself in a desperate situation, but one comes, relieves them from that situation, pouring out every essence of love, every essence of compassion, every essence of grace into preserving the life of one who is in danger. And after that one comes into a place of stability, then they turn their back on the person who rescued them. Mm -hmm. That's a tough situation, right? Um, yeah. in, in one instance, it's, it's dishonoring the kind of help or the relationship that has been built over that, over, throughout those situations, right? Mm -hmm. um, getting you out of a tough spot and getting you into a good place and then you turn away. It's kind of a similar thing like that. God is jealous because God doesn't want to be dishonored. God loves Israel. God says, Israel is my firstborn. The ways God describes Israel, right? Um, and for Israel to go and to worship other gods is a dishonor to the God who rescued Israel and called Israel to be God's own people. So God saying that he's a, God is a consuming fire and God is jealous is in one instance... A call to honor the covenant relationship that Israel had with God. And 
in another instance, it is a warning against idolatry, right? So to say yeah. that one is jealous is to say that there is love, right? But mm -hmm. it's also, also to say that don't take this love for granted. Understood. That's how I, that I would suggest that. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, the next one says Deuteronomy 5.12. So in Deuteronomy 5.12, they pretty much retouch on the fourth commandment. Um, and it quite simply says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. It doesn't go into everything that Exodus 20 mentioned. Um, so it says, why is the justification for the fourth commandment different here from that of Exodus 20? Right. So in the, fir the first commandment appeals to appeals to creation, right? Uh, I mean, in Exodus, um, the justification, as it were, or the reason for the motivation for for keeping the sabbath is following in god's step right god was and god was god rested on the seventh day right god blessed it rested and god's people is to walk in the ways that, that god prescribes right god did it so we do it but it is a, in a similar circumstance right because the appeal now is to Israel, you were slaves in the land of Egypt, mm -hmm. right? And so you, 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 you are keeping the Sabbath in remembrance of the fact that you were once slave, slaves, you were once enslaved, but now you have received compassion, right? And you're going to find that the Sabbath here is taking on a, a stance of compassion, right? And you're going to see it even in, in Jesus, right? Um, Jesus says it's good to do good on the Sabbath day. So you can trace this kind of, I don't, um, this kind of development of how Sabbath mm -hmm. keeping uh, um, progresses, right? So mm -hmm. it's it becomes something of compassion, remembering who you are. You were enslaved, you you, but you were relieved. Keep this as a as as a reminder of one, the God who created you, but also the God who redeemed you. Right. Okay. So Sabbath yeah. brings that kind of essence of creation, but also redemption. And we're going to see that also in the New Testament in, in, in different ways. Yeah. Okay. So the next question comes from Deuteronomy 6, 8 and 9. Um, and Deuteronomy 6, 8 and 9 says, Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and your gate. So this is referring to the, the binders and the frontlets and things like that. So they're asking, should the should we also have binders, frontlets, and copies of the Torah on door on doorposts similar to the, the Jewish faith? Right. So if if as we look into um, that passage in Deuteronomy six, if we jump down to to I think verse twelve, um, verse twelve says, "Be careful." that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. So these symbols were, were, were meant as reminders of what God did for Israel, right? They, they were placed there as reminders of where they are coming from and also of God's, of God's commandments, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was, it was simply a, a reminder. Um, do we need reminders today about keeping God's laws um, and stuff like that? Yes, um, 
When we, we have reminders such as the cross, right? When you see a symbol of the cross, it reminds you of the crucifixion, right? And so the question, um, should we have binders, folders, copies of Torah, doorposts? Um, it, it's possible. We know um, people of Jewish heritage still do it as a reminder. And it's it's optional. If that's if you're comfortable with that, you know, if, if that is a way of reminding you of your covenant relationship with God, um, use it. There's no wrong or right about it. Um, but it's important to, to understand what it means. It stands as a reminder um, of what God has done. Um, it's, a it's a recollection of, of what has happened in the past. So just to kind of touch on that one, as a reminder, is it good to note or important to note maybe that this is also because the the Israelites would constantly seem to forget and be wicked and be sinful. So maybe God's like putting things in place to kind of say, use these as reminders. Would that be safe to say, or am I kind of? Yes, and and as we looked at before uh, um, in chapter on chapter, the biggest of those reminders were, was the Sabbath, right? <laughs> I mean, you can you can put up binders, you can do everything else. But there's also the Sabbath, which is the greatest reminder of God's compassion, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the command to keep the Sabbath is tied to a remembrance um, of, of God's law, but also of God's deliverance of Israel. So you are right to know mm -hmm. that. You're right to you're right to know that. Okay. Okay. So I, I, that, I thought that's a pretty that's a pretty big one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Deuteronomy seven three through four. Um, it says, you must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters um, and sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and he will quickly destroy you. So this mm. one is, can we marry non-Christians or Christians from other denominations, Sunday worshipers, and so on and so forth? Um, yes, we can. <laughs> well, the question is, right? Is it the wise yes. thing to do? Should we? Yes. <laughs> the question is, is it the wise thing to do? Um, mm -hmm. You know, honestly, I can tell you that and, and consider it. Um, even in marriages where people are of the same faith and there, there are still minor differences in how people interpret the same belief or the same mm -hmm. concept or the same, uh, the same doctrine right um and also people share different even people in in of the same faith you'll find in in though in in marriages and in, in in families share different social backgrounds different political views the point i'm making is this if if married couples who have the same religious beliefs and sometimes share the same political belief and same find themselves with difficulties in those relationships. Imagine yeah. when a relation comes into being with varying views, right? right. That only intensifies um, the differences, right? And diminishes the similarities in some sense, right? And so can, can you do it? Yes, it can. Um, has it ever worked? It has worked for some people. Can it work for you? I am not the judge of that, right? But the wisdom, where's wisdom in this, right? You, you have considered wisdom in this, right? Because look what the text itself says, right? 
You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their daughters. They will lead your children to worship other gods. That is the justification for, for forbidding intermarrying, right? Because they will lead you to worship other gods. It's, it's, it's there, right? And then it says the anger of the Lord will burn against you and destroy you if that happens. And so it's, it's a matter of cause and effect wisdom in, in that decision. It can happen. You can do it. Has it worked before? Yes. Will it work for you? I don't know. But the, the wisdom of the text suggests and says clearly that intermarrying the influence of anyone, right? Whether it's in a, whether it's in a, a, a marital relationship, um, a friendship, um, uh, any, any circumstance, mm -hmm. differences, um, people with different views will have challenges, but also in that context, you have one who is more influential than the other. Right. And so who will give in to, to who? That's one of the questions that can be asked. Are you going to give into giving more of your give up more of your faith? Is a person going to give up more of their faith? Where's where's the compromise? Right. Yeah. So the question is, can it happen? Yes. But is it, is it the wise thing to do? No. No. Understood. I mean, it literally says the anger of the Lord will burn against you. And God just finished telling us in Deuteronomy 424 that he's a jealous God. So. Yes, yes. Can you yeah. or should you? Definitely. Maybe it's not wise. <laughs> so the next question comes from um, Deuteronomy 9.19. And uh, this is another kind of juxtaposition mm -hmm. with, you know, God in the Old Testament versus the Jesus Christ of the New Testament. Um, so in Deuteronomy 9.19, it says, I feared that the furious anger of the Lord, which turned him against you, would drive him to destroy you. But again, he listened to me. And I know you'll expand a little bit more on what's happening there. But the question there says, can this angry picture of God be harmonized with the God introduced by Jesus Christ? So we, we have to clarify that this, this God didn't just get angry out of the blue, right? Um, remember that God is relating to a covenant people, right? At Sinai, the covenant was, was sealed. There's an understanding of how the relationship will function. But here we have Israel continuing to break the, 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 the relationship, break the, the, the requirements, the, the guidance of the relationship, right? Um, think of your own self. Think of ourselves, right? Um, you have a child, you have a friend, whatever relationship you find yourself in. And every time you forgive, every time you, you say, okay, this is how we're going to function. The person continues to go against it and go against the, the, the ways that that make relationship work right that mm -hmm. foster good relationships and the person continues to go against it it's going to stir some 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 anger in you it's going to stir some frustration right um so 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 this image of god as as this angry being is is not without reason right it's it's really not without reason but in the same um, verse, verse 19, where, where it says that God is a, is a very angry God and wrath, God of wrath, it says, but God listened to me, right? Talking about Moses, right? God was angry, but God still listened to Moses, right? So we, we can't forget that. That's, that's the, 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 the compassion of God coming forward, right? That's the grace of God coming forward. God still listened to Moses. So this image of this angry God in, in the Old Testament, can it be harmonized with the God of the New Testament? 
Yes, we find that there is still judgment in the New Testament. There are still blessings and curses, right? Um, take, for instance, Jesus on the, on, on, um, on the Sermon on the Mount, right? Um, in some ways, we find this kind of blessed are, are the peacemakers, right? The blessings. But then you find the then you find the, the curse. If you if you if you um let's let's take one for if you if you you don't have to commit adultery, just look at look at the woman and it's done. Right? There is this kind of thing in the New Testament, right? So when people think of judgment, people normally think of judgment as just punitive, right? It's this harsh, it's this wrath, it's this thing. But there is another side of, of judgment too. When you think of judgment, there is also justice. Right? There's also justice for the one who is wrong, and there's also punishment for the one who, who does the wrong. Right. So in a sense, this, this image of this God can be harmonized if we look at the relationship and the context and the guidelines of how the relationship is, is meant to function. God gets angry. God has wrath. It is for the fact that Israel steps out of the relationship. The, the relationship. I know it's a, it's a hard thing, but the narrative flow of the Bible and how... The New Testament makes use of the Old Testament, gives us opportunity to, in some ways, harmonize this image. Mm -hmm. When we think of the concept of judgment as one being um, punitive, but also being salvific at the same time, right? Because that's what Jesus' judgment on the cross was, right? Um, it was God's anger against sin, but it's also God's grace towards sinners. That makes sense. That makes sense. And, and you mentioned like Israel steps out. I think it's also good to mention because I, when I was reading a little bit about the background of Deuteronomy, it's taking place in the, if I'm not mistaken, the 11th month or the 10th month of the 40th year that they wandered. So this is kind of like summarizing just, you know, all that they were doing right. and how they were constantly stepping out of line. It's kind of, kind of telling everything that happened um you know as they were stepping out constantly and, and what god did to i guess remind them of you know the covenants and things that they had so i thought that might be a good note to mention for everyone just to kind of get it in your mind as to when we're talking about as well literally right at the end of the israelites wandering for their 40 years just before they right. enter well the right. new generation entered the promised land um so then we're switching gears a little bit so the next couple questions are honestly re referring to tithes, how they did tithes at that time, um, and how we should now do tithes and things like that as well. So um, without going all the way through Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 26, it's basically saying you set aside a, a tenth of your crops and uh, that you harvest each year and you bring this tithe to a designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored and eat there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you to always fear the Lord your God. Um, so then the question pretty much everyone is asking is, should we do the same with our tithes? Shouldn't we tithe re regularly or is this an extra tithe? So basically they're, they're saying, and then they also mentioned that the tithe here was not used to pay the Levites, but God also allowed the Israelites to use it to buy food and feast in his presence. So should we do the same? And is this an extra tithe? And can you pretty much just kind of give a, a decent overview of what's going on here and how does it apply to how we should tithe today? All right, so 
remember this was an agrarian society, right? Um, agriculture was, was kind of the backbone of the economy, right? Mm -hmm. um, so ask God, God say, saying to them, give a tithe of, and we know, it's, it's, a, it's a principle of this, this that it's God who blesses us, it's God who gives us the rain, it's God, God who gives us, allows everything to grow and to flourish and for us to, 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 to gain wealth and, and to prosper, right? Um, and here's one instance where I mentioned before that there is, I think I mentioned in the last episode that there's no one-to-one -one correspondence in, in how we apply the biblical text sometimes, right? So the, tithe, the, the tithing system then, um, as, as was mentioned, was also to take care of the Levite who, who had no, no inheritance, as it were, who had no allotment. You know, the text describes as an allotment and for those who were foreigners and for, for those who were orphans and widows and stuff, right? Mm. Now, the tithe here is, is, is a special tithe because if you check what verse 28 and 29 says, at the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites, right? So how 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 we up we deal with tithing and how we organize tithing is different. In one instance here you have the collection and you have the administration of, of, of tithing, right? And here there wasn't a centralized system. Well, it wasn't developed yet, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of a centralized sanctuary where everyone would go to and do all of that. It's, it's evident in the text because God will choose a place where his name will be honored and you eat in God's presence. We today have a centralized system, right? Mm -hmm. And we, we say you return your 10th and we leave it up. We leave the administration of that 10th to a part of the organization that deals with that, which is the finance department, right? So the idea is, should we should we still tithe? We should should still tithe. Should we tithe regularly? Yes. Should we give an extra tithe? If you can, we welcome it. Um, uh, should we should we take the money and give as our um, Israelites fed fed them? That, that I said was a special tithe, right? It was, it, we, we consider text, it was a special tithe at the end of the, of the third year, right? That was a special tithe by itself. Now, can we find means and ways to bless others while we also return a faithful tithe? I think it's possible. Mm -hmm. um, but this is also... Um, a matter of, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to say it's a matter of, of, yeah, it is also, it's not a matter of, of conscience. I, won't, I don't want to say it's a matter of conscience, but mm -hmm. we can find means and ways to still bless those who, who need, um, mm -hmm. if you want to give a second tide, yes, but we can still, through the, through the offerings that we give, um, provide for those who are, who are less fortunate. Um, tithe, how we use tithe, it's mission driven, right? It's mission driven. And a part of the mission is also, 
um, furthering the gospel, um, uh, feeding the poor, all of that. Um, we have agile. We have we have different departments in, in the church that take care of different stuff, right? Um, so yes, this is a big it's a, it's a big question. It's a big concern. It's the one that goes on because people ask, um, where is the where is the storehouse? And we and we hear this continually over and over again. This is a is a question that has been answered from an institutional perspective, from a Seventh Adventist institutional organizational perspective, um, and some people are still not comfortable with it. Um, but that's that's where that's where I'd leave it. That's that's where I'd leave it. Um, we, we we remain faithful to the vows that we made. Return our tenth, and where we can, we bless others as as best as we can. That's it. And honestly, you naturally covered the next question, which was about the poor in the church and things like that. So explaining that the tithe is mission driven goes lends itself yeah. to that question as well. Um, so I did want to touch on another interesting one. So Deuteronomy fifteen twelve in in that chapter. Um, you have God, you know, explaining how certain people should be released and certain things like that. So uh, 1512 says, if a fellow Hebrew sells himself or herself to be your servant and serves you for six years, in the seventh year, you must set that servant free. And then the question is, were, were only Jew servants set free on the seventh year? And if so, why? So... That text speaks particular to, and we, we today we call it indentured um, um, servants. Or yeah, right. So what happened is that slavery, and, and in this instance was was a consequence of someone probably falling in debt, right? Debt. They they were unable to pay their debt, and in some circumstances they had to work it off. They had to work, you know, give give service to to work work off the, the years. But God put a system in place where every seventh year slaves would have to become would have to be freed, and the the message is slavery should not become a permanent condition, right? Debts debts are to be paid, yes, but slavery is not to become a permanent condition. Um, that was not how the relationship that that Israel among themselves was was supposed to have. But if you read in other parts of the of the Bible too, and as we've read, you know, coming up to this book, there were circumstances where other slaves were also freed, mm. right? Non-Jewish slaves were freed, whether they were wounded and other circumstances, right? Um, but in particular, for for Israelite enslaved those who sold themselves or their children or relatives into slavery, it was about satisfying a debt. But God put a plan in place to prevent to prevent slavery from becoming a permanent condition for those who who, who owe. So in, in in this this year of liberty, this year of the Lord was a blessing. And we see we saw it in other places where it's a time where the land rests, where the land gets rest, and um and and a lot of debt. And no, when Jesus comes in Luke chapter four and says, you know, he he has come. To set at liberty them that, that 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 are you know bound and to preach a gospel and he says this is the year of the lord's favor that was a a reference right to the seventh year so when 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 everyone who was in debt would be set freed right so even jesus picked up on this concept of preventing slavery preventing being in debt preventing being unfreed 
from from becoming a permanent condition and that's reflected in also in our salvation in how we we were freed and i think that jumps into the other question that 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 uh, if i recall um that's there but go ahead but go ahead um olivia well actually when you mentioned that i, I thought i also wanted to note uh when you keep on reading it says like when you release a male servant do not send him away empty-handed give him a generous farewell gift from your flock like your threshing floor and your wine press and i thought that was interesting because when the um when the israelites left egypt they actually were given things from the not given they were you know god softened their hearts and but mm -hmm. they were given yes. things that i thought was really interesting so of course you know me being me i went and read some commentary on it and it was basically God wanted to make sure they remembered that they were once slaves as well. Yes. So he wanted them to remember. He wanted him to, he wanted to like, um, basically remind that all people have dignity and worth and things like that. And so as you mentioned, uh, the, the slaves not being a permanent condition is also to say, no, slavery can't be a permanent condition because you were also once a slave. So don't, you know, don't forget that. Right. So I thought right. that was a, that was a very interesting question to, to mention. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the next one, it says Deuteronomy 16 verses one. Ah, you know what? You did mention a point, wait, no. Let's go back to 16 and one. We'll come back to that. So in Deuteronomy 16 verses one, it says, in honor of the Lord your God, celebrate the Passover each year in the early spring, the month of Abib. Um, for that was the month in which the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. So it says, should Christians celebrate Passover Easter or both? I've actually had this same exact question, so I'd like to know the answer. Right. Should Christians celebrate Passover, Easter, or both? Um, now, what is a Passover? The Passover is the commemoration of Israel's liberation from Egyptian bondage, right? Mm -hmm. uh, now, we have our own. Uh, mark or mark in history of how we were delivered right and we take our cue from jesus right because jesus when he sat with his disciples and i think it's in the gospel of matthew you know he, he they were they were having the, the the passover feast and he he said to them you know this is the bread my um my body that was broken for you it's talking about the bread right mm -hmm. and so he, he reinterpreted the passover in light of his sacrifice right so while the Passover was um, a recollection, a memorial of Israel's liberation from from Egyptian slavery, right? The pass, the 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 the, the communion service, the Lord's yeah. Supper, is the way we celebrate our our deliverance, right? Our liberation from sin, and and that's the, that's how Jesus would have us celebrate the Passover in quotation, right? In recognition of His sacrifice. And recognition of his liberation uh, of his him liberating us from sin and and and, and you know since sin slavery right so easter which marks the death of, of 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 jesus should we celebrate easter um i i, I would say yes um because in celebrating the the, the easter we are recalling in 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 a similar way yeah. The, the deliverance from from say we're, we're celebrating christ's death his resurrection and some people would probably celebrate it better celebrate it more readily if we take off the name easter because of what it suggests about history and and, and you know uh, paganism um mm -hmm.
and and I get that, but pay attention to the event that is the meaning of the event that is being celebrated when we think about Easter. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we do celebrate in the communion service. Um, but should we celebrate Easter? I, I say yes. I say yes. Okay. So now we're switching gears again. So these next questions come from, um, I'll say a, a little bit of justice now and, and God's view on it. So in Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20, it says, appoint judges and officials for, um, for yourselves from each of your tribes in all the towns the Lord your God is giving you. They must judge the justice or show reality, never accept a bribe for bribes blind the eyes of the wise and corrupt the decisions of the godly. Let true justice prevail so you may live and occupy the land that your Lord your God has given you. Um, so the question is, is this passage still relevant and how should justice be administered in today's society? Uh, it, it is relevant. Um, wherever there are, wherever there is power, right, there is to be accountability. And when you look into in, in, in our nation, um, United States of America, when you think of the Supreme Court, when when the, when the, when when they, these justices make decisions, it affects every life in this country, right? And so, where there is power, there there is to be accountability, and justice is one of the key characteristics of of God as this divine sovereign being, right? As this covenant God, as this God who is ruling over a people right um and that's why there's there's this in this text we we find you know that there must be justice there should be no partiality you know how bribes blind the eyes and and you know make and corrupt this decisions right um so this passage is still relevant because it gives instructions right our warnings as it were um about um mis misuse of of, of power and also misuse of, of, of um, application of justice, right? So when you, when you think, I mean, it's, it's, it's Black History Month, right? Mm. And when you think of how the laws of any nation, because you have the, the, the judiciary of, the, of this, of, of, um, you have Congress that, that makes laws, you have the judiciary that, that, admit, that, that administers law. Um, mm. if, if, the, if there is no accountability if there are bribes if there are if there's an intention to 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 treat people fairly then then power will be corrupt right and we, we have seen that in the in the history of how africans african americans have been treated in this in this in this country right when you can leg legislate um federal law that any slave right i think it's a, the fugitive slave 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 act yeah, that yeah. charges one with a federal federal uh, um, crime for returning uh, um for 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 um facilitating a slave's escape yeah right mm -hmm. and we just read in the bible where slaves slavery was meant to be a permanent condition right mm -hmm. slavery was was well it's different how slavery was was practiced in in both contexts right but but i'm still using the principle of slavery right was not meant to be a permanent condition right but notice how it was administered against black bodies in this country 
right? It came from officials, judicials, right? It was in the it was ingrained in the laws, right? And and we saw how it affected people. So should justice matter? Is this passage relevant? I think it's relevant now more than ever in the context of this country and 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 um and how things are, are functioning, right? I think it's I think it's very 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 important in in, in our society. Extremely yes. It, when you look at the news every day, you still you see how relevant it is yes. Um, yes. to try to. Um, so going into the next question, the question is still among justice, but now in a different form. Mm -hmm. This in the Old Testament, um, and this is about throwing stones. So it says, Deuteronomy 17, the witnesses must throw the first stones and then all the people may join in. In this way, you will purge the evil from among you. The question is a couple, a couple um, questions. Why did the witness have to throw the first stone? Should we admonish those among us who sin or should we show compassion? Isn't there a fine line between being compassionate and condoning a person's sin. All right, so why did the witness have to throw the first stone? Because you're the witness, right? Um, in a sense, you are the one who testifies to the, 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 the wrongdoing or the criminal act or the evil that has been done. And so mm -hmm. this idea of you throwing the first stone is in one sense, affirming your testimony right mm -hmm. but it's also a test of one's own compassion as we will see with jesus in the new testament right yeah. um jesus says who will throw the first stone mm -hmm. right because they said this woman was caught in the act of adultery right so if there's a witness right you need to throw the first stone who is the witness to this act jesus was mm -hmm. saying right throw the first stone right and this idea of should we, this question is, is, is there a fine line between compassion and condoning a person's sin? Um, I'm going to say no. Mm -hmm. Here's what I say. Condoning covers the sin. Right? Condoning covers the, people, the person's sin. But compassion is an act of helping a person, strengthening a person out of the wrongdoing, restoring that person. Right? So compassion and condoning for me, as I as I see it and as I sense it, and even in the context of this text, condoning is, is saying, okay, is emboldening someone to continue in the wrong way. But compassion says, listen, I'm calling you to accountability and in and asking you to make a U-turn. Right? But condoning says, okay, you did it. Um, go ahead and do it again. Go ahead and do it again. Go ahead and do it again. But compassion says, I understand where you're coming from. I see your weakness. I see your flaws. I see your, I see where we are struggling. Here's what I'm going to do. Let's take this step. Let's let's try um, and come again for rec reconciliation. So they're 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 different in my in my thinking, right? Um, so this idea, God will purge even from among you. Throw the first the first stone. Um, I have to go to Jesus, right? Um, because. Jesus actually lived out this text, right? Literally. Here's a woman caught in adultery. Throw the first oh. stone, 
right? Who? It, it calls us when you, when you have to come to be a witness to one another person's sin, it calls you to reflect on your own wrongdoing. And in that sense, you find yourself in a place of compassion too, right? Um, it, it, it reminds me of um, Matthew chapter 7, right? About judging, taking the, the plank out of one's eyes, out of my eye before I try taking the, the speck out of someone mm -hmm. else's eye, right? Mm, mercy. Okay, so this next one, um, Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 20. Um, mm. So ultimately, so this one is talking about pretty much all the guidelines for a king. Uh, so if you've read it, it it's a, there's a bit in there. So just to kind of go through it a little bit quickly, it says, you are about to enter the land your Lord, your God has given you. When you take it over and settle there, you may think we should select a king to rule over us like the other nations around us. If this happens, be sure to select a king, the man the Lord your God chooses. Um, you must appoint a fellow Israelite. He may not be a foreigner. The king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses for the Lord has told you. You must never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. And he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver or gold for himself. When he sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself this body of instruction on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. He must always keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear the Lord and his God by obeying all these terms of these instructions and decrees. This regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he is above his fellow citizen. It will also prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way. And it will ensure that he and his descendants may reign for many generations in Israel. So the question is, should the heads of the nation now around the world govern by the guidelines principled here? So, um... Israel was a theocracy, right? Um, a nation governed by, by a deity, governed by a God, right? But at the same time, they were permitted, right, to, 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 to have, you know, kings rule over them. The role of the king before Israel was as God's, representative to care for the people, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The king is supposed to portray, and let me say this clear, clearly, um, carefully. The king was supposed to portray the characteristics and attributes of God in co governing and caring for the people, but at the same time, not to be esteemed as a God. Mm, okay. Right? The king was not to be okay. esteemed as a God because it is a theocracy. God is the ultimate king of Israel right god is the ultimate leader of israel but as god's representative and god's guide over the people right mm -hmm. that the king is the king's status should not be perceived as more significant or important than the regular people because he is not god he's god's representative among the people to administer justice to care for the people and ensure the people live well um in our world most governments um and, and and yeah there are guidelines in governments that we can see are are 
comparable to biblical laws about how kings should function and how even God functions. But nations today tend to separate themselves from any one religion. Well, well, some nations, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you have a you have a um, Islamic state or, or certain mm-hmm. states, um, but governments tend to want to be democratic, right? Mm-hmm. But even in democratic governments, right? Um, these are still um, um, guidelines that are essential and effective for people to live well balanced lives and also um for 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 the society to function well i'm, I'm thinking about america and i'm thinking about capitalism and i have to and i have to hold my my tongue right there because <laughs> capitalism <laughs> is, is in no way coming close to this right yeah. um uh, but yeah but the idea here is that people know in, a, in in essence that it is god who is really blessing them it's god who through the because it the king the, the, the law is supposed to be read before the king and it is meant that the law will govern the king's actions so in essence the king is reflecting god's will in his governance of the people right and so it's god the message is it's god who is still governing over people so these guidelines are still beneficial they are still um application worthy um and i think even in a communistic society and even in um, capitalistic society, these will be really beneficial. Yes. And yeah. the key is, are they being applied or would someone allow them to be applied? Eh, that's where the, that's where the tricky part comes in. Um, so the next question is about those speaking um, or claiming to be prophets, which is pretty interesting as well. Uh, so this next one comes from Deuteronomy 18 verses 22, and it says, if the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his predictions do not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. That prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. Um, so the question is, or the comment in question is, although this verse makes it clear how to recognize a false prophet, some so-called prophets announce events that they claim will happen in distant futures. Um, how can we distinguish true from false prophets when we will not live long enough to see um, or know whether some of their predictions become reality? Yeah, that's that's a that's a really that's a really good question, right? Um, By their fruits. <laughs> how, yeah, and and that's and and that's it, right? Um, does the prophet? You know, we we say do do, do we. Do we want to talk? Do we, we, we live the, the message that we, we preach, right? And so while we might not live to see the, 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 whether or not the predictions are fulfilled or, or they come to naught, we can tell by how a prophet, a so-called prophet, lives in relation to the will of God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, 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 where, it's where we always go to, the, the fruits. Um, is a prophet's life reflective? Of a godly man, is of a godly person rather, um, is is he or she living a, according to how God would want um, a person who represents? Because the prophet, you know, was another representative of God of God among the people, right? The prophet speaks on God's behalf, and so mm-hmm. it was a very significant, very significant role. Because as as we see throughout the old uh, of the Hebrew Bible, right, you will find that. Kings go to war right, based on the words of a prophet, 
right? Yeah. So many things, a nation is, so many things are, are, are dependent on the words of a prophet, right? And we have seen where false prophets have, have caused kings to go to war and, and, and lost the war, kings lose their lives. So one has to really consider the, 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 the prophet's own, own life. If that prophet lives faithfully to God's will, um, to determine whether or not that prophet is really a true or false prophet. That's it. I think that is key by by what else they're doing, what else they're saying, yeah. and and what's yeah. happening around them, and what they're allowing. So yeah, um, this next one was really interesting too. Uh, so I'm I'm very curious to hear um, this answer. So it's referring to if someone kills another person unintentionally. Um, without mm. previous hostility, the slayer may flee to any of these cities to live in safety. So just a little background is that God named three cities where uh, people could go. Um, so this it's verse seems to suggest, yeah, suggest that manslaughter should not be punished severely as murder. There have been cases of, of what appeared, appears to be unemotional and negligent killing in the news recently, um, yet the public and many church members often protests and advocate for more severe punishment in these cases, calling them cases of injustice or racism. Does the church have a responsibility to educate their members in light of this first um, and supporting them? There's a lot going on here. So, all right. So yeah, please. let's take on the first one, right? The, this, this one about um, uh, undocumented aliens, right? And sanctuary cities. So the, the text is really speaking about Right. Uh, in our terms, we would say criminal law, and the question is referring to immigration law, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because sanctuary cities, as we know them now, the the idea about sanctuary cities is to prevent, um, you know, cooperation with 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 federal uh, with federal immigration enforcement agents, right? Those who enforce immigration law. That's what what um, sanctuary cities are about. It's not about protecting people from criminal law because if a, an immigrant, if an you know undocumented alien, so that that term is being changed now in in law um, with the new administration. But let me just use it for now. If an undocumented alien commits a crime, um, even today society that person is held accountable, right? Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of their their, their immigration status. Um, Sanctuary cities, that where, that's where sanctuary cities comes in. There's no cooperation between the county, the city, the state, well, not the state, but the city or the county um, in terms of facilitating the, the removal of, of, of immigrants. But this text is speaking about criminal law where someone unintentionally, right, unintentionally um, kills uh, someone and they are sent to, to a city of refuge. Now, when one was sent to a city of refuge, it was also a matter of time for the case to be tried, as it were, right? Mm -hmm. for, for judgment, for investigation and judgment to be administered. So even if someone went to a, a city of refuge for killing someone, they could still be pulled out of that city of refuge and, 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 and meet punishment. The difference, mm -hmm. and it comes into the other question that you're asking, the difference is a question of intention, right? The difference between, you know, this is in intention. Was it 
premeditated, right? That's where murder comes in versus manslaughter, right? In criminal law, right? Is it premeditated versus unintentional? Versus unintentional? That's where it comes in. So there is more, the text is suggesting more, more leniency towards those who had no intention. They didn't plan to go out like Cain, you know, called out Abel to, to, the, to, the, um, to the field and say, come out with me, knowing that his intention was to kill him. Right? Yeah. Or, or, or certain other circumstances. Right? But when you think of the text now in Deuteronomy 19.4, and the question asks about, uh, let me read a question. The verse mm -hmm. seems to suggest that manslaughter, unintentional or negligent killing should not be punished as severely as murder. Right? Mm -hmm. That's there in the text. Right? And it's based on mm -hmm. intention. And the question goes on to say, there have been cases of what appears to be unintentional or negligent killing in the news recently. Let me stop there. When a police officer steps out in a uniform, mm. they are stepping out in a play in a in a position of power. They are stepping out with a sense of knowing that they're carrying a lethal weapon. They're stepping mm. out with a certain certain level of training, right? So I would not necessarily apply this unintentional or negligent killing to what is happening in the news. Because when you look at George Floyd, right, mm. you, there, there, is, there is sense to know that if you sit on a person's neck for a certain amount of time, if you squeeze a person's for a certain time, you know what's going to happen. So there's no, I, I, I'm going to rule out unintentional in this case, mm. right? Because we know what can happen when certain things are done. So the question goes on to say, the public and many church members often protest and advocate for more severe punishment in these cases, calling them cases of injustice or racism. Yes, they are. Because the persons who um, perpetrate or, or commit these killings, they are stepping out with a certain kind of knowledge of who they are, a certain kind of responsibility, a certain kind of amount of power. They know, know who, how and who they are stepping out in these places as and who they are. So they bear a certain level of responsibility for their actions, right? It's not like a man going out to chop a tree and he lifts up the ax and the ax accidentally flies off and kills somebody. No, you go out. You know that when you put um, a, a handcuff on someone, um, if you handcuff them a certain way, it will cause pain. If you loosen it, they probably escape. You have a certain level of training. So they bear a certain level of responsibility. And so the question, does the church have a responsibility to educate its members in light of, the, uh, of this verse instead of supporting them? Here's, my, here's, my, here's what I have to say. The killings that we witness on the news, I, wouldn't, I would not personally classify them as unintentional or as a case where an accidental death, right? Because you know the level of a, a police officer knows the level of, of a force that can be administered um, without being fatal or with being fatal. Timing. Th these are not, they're not ignorant of these things. So they have to be held accountable. And if protests and, adv and advocacy means that they are held accountable, then so is the case, right? Yes. Um, because they are stepping out with a certain level of responsibility, a certain level of power. And we, we spoke about how our nations and leaders are given power and how they are held responsible. It's the same thing with the administration of justice as judges and officials. 
um, police officers are held and those who, who, you know, do these things are held accountable. And sometimes we know it is attributed to racism. We have seen it. A person of Eurocentric descent is treated differently from a person of Afrocentric descent, right? Mm -hmm. we, we're, we're living in America. We're not, we're not blind to that. That is evident, right? We can't say that there is definitely an intention in some circumstances, but we know that there is prejudice against black bodies. We can't deny that. So our responsibility is to educate the church. Yes, that police officers bear a certain responsibility. They have a certain kind of power, which they are responsible for administrating um, justly. So that's where I think education would come in. And also to educate um, those who are Afrocentric um, heritage to say, when you go out, this is how you behave because you are already prejudiced because of the color of your skin. Mercy. Right. So there's no, okay. for me, there's no unintentional in, in, in this, in this section. No, none whatsoever. I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with that one. Um, so the next question, interestingly enough, as we talked about unintentional in this last question, now Deuteronomy 1913, 1913 in verse one, kind of change gears a bit. Cause now it says, you know, do not feel sorry for that murderer. Um, or is it, do not feel sorry for that murderer. Hand him over to the dead person's avenger to be put to death. Do not feel sorry for that murder, murderer. Purge from Israel the guilt of murdering innocent people. Then all will go well with you. Um, so, and then it kind of touches a jump to 21 where it says, you must show no pity for the guilty. Your rule should be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Shouldn't we show compassion for the sinner? This is like a another interesting um comparison right. here so so i did mention a while ago about intention right now if you read uh above verse 13 you will see that this is speaking about premeditated murder right yes the person let me see if i can find it 13 let me see 13 um look at verse yeah. and verse 11. 11. but yeah. if someone someone at enmity with another lies in wait and attacks and takes the life of that person and flees into one of these cities, then the elders of the city, then the elders of the killer city shall send, shall send to have the culprit taken from there and handed over to the avenger to be put to death. So mm -hmm. the reason why there's no pity for this person is because they premeditate the person premeditated the murder, right? Mm -hmm. The text says they, they had enmity against the person, but not only that, they lied in wait and then they attacked. Mm. So this, this, the, 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 the motive behind this murder is, 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 is enmity, right? Yeah. There's, there's premeditation, right? And so that's why they said the avenger of the, the, the family member, you know, who's going to administer justice, the avenger, hand them over for, for the person to be killed. Now, this is, this is in a sense, appealing to her, you know, what we call capital punishment. Um, I know this eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We go back to Jesus, right? Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah, Jesus, Jesus says, you know, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. I mean, mm -hmm. wow. Forget them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we can. A lot to unpack. 
<laughs> we can hold here's what i want to think about this we can hold people accountable for their actions and also forgive them we can say that we understand we can also hold people accountable because one of the things that accountability is important right because if every time this person comes and says okay yes i know i thought about i premeditated i murdered this person and we say okay we're gonna have compassion we forgive you but forgiveness <laughs> but compassion and forgiveness means that you go free to be able to kill somebody again you understand what i mean so yeah. compassion there, there can be forgiveness and there can be one held responsible at the same time and accountable at the same time yeah absolutely that's how i respond absolutely. to that one yeah yeah no that, that makes perfect sense um so the very next one kind of goes back to uh touching on uh, is god cruel uh mm -hmm. so Deuteronomy 16 and 17 god is is pointing out some towns uh, that are going to be the or the israelite special possession and it says in those towns the lord your god is giving you as a special possession destroy every living thing you must completely destroy the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. Um, and the comments in question says, this is harsh and barbarous. Should, do we serve a cruel God? So listen to what the verse that follows says. Verse 18, right? Verse 18. Let me find verse 18. Verse 18 says, so that they may not teach you to do all the the abhorrent things that they do for their gods and thus you sin against the lord your god so in one sense this is kind of a preventative measure against idolatry or israel breaking their covenant relationship with god or turning away from god right so it's 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 almost like you're having another flood, right? Because that's kind of the, 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 the situation of the flood. And you, you'll see that in all of, and that's why I mentioned it in earlier, that there's kind of a new creation thing flowing. There's a kind of a creation thing flowing through. With, with, a, with a creation comes covenant, right? Covenant and creation is partnering throughout these narratives, right? Because God is, is calling these new people again, and he's sending them into a promised land, a, a new land, and for the land to be new and, and to be circumspect, you have to get rid of everything that is in there, like the earth, right? God is going to destroy the earth and, re and, and, and remake it and, re and replenish it. That's kind of the idea with the flood. That's kind of the concept, right? That's, that's behind this kind of thinking. All the evil has to be completely removed so that there's no temptation. That's kind of the, the, the justification that is given for, 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 for killing everyone. Um, it seems like a cruel thing, but the justification is given, right? So that you do not worship their gods. But some responsibility, no, in our times, are we saying, okay, we are Christians and everyone who is not a Christian, if our neighbors are a Christian, we're going to go over, go over there and no, that's not what, what we are supposed to practice, right? Um, the way we practice this new creation is instead of killing them, 
We ask them to kill the sinful nature. We ask them to give up their sinfulness and come and be a part of this new body. That's kind of what the New Testament teaches, right? We don't kill Gentiles. We, we bring them into the family of God because Christ has died already. No one else needs to die, right? We bring them into this new, new family. So, yes, it seems like an, a, a harsh image of God, um, but the justification is there. And we can argue with it, um, but the justification is given for, for there that to prevent Israel from turning away from their covenant relationship. Right? We can, we, it's arguable. We can argue with, it with justification, but the reason is for Israel to remain faithful to God. So it's, it's, the idea is preventing any sense of religious temptation to turn away Israel from God. Add my own little, I'll say humorous piece to it. I like to watch a lot of movies. And anytime you watch a movie where like someone got left behind, maybe he says wipe out the whole nation and the person gets yeah. left behind and you like, you see at the very end of the movie that one person kind of standing there, but you already know there's gonna be like a revenge sequel. You know, so maybe yeah. it's also like kind of God's foresight. <laughs> you know, so God, you know, he knows everything. So, you know, if one person gets left behind, you know, they're coming back. So yeah, just yeah. wanted to kind of add that movie adage, the movie piece to it. So going on to the next question, um, Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21. This one is another one um, mm. that was interesting. So let me go through it really quickly. It's regarding dealing with a rebellious son. And it says, suppose a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or mother, even though they discipline him. In such a case, the father and mother must take the son to the elders as they hold court at the town gate. The parents must say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and refuses to obey. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the town must stone him to death. In this way, mm. you will purge this evil from among you and all Israel mm. will hear about it and be afraid. Uh, the question is, can any normal loving parent do something like this? <sighs> yeah, this one's yeah. big. It's mm -hmm. tough, right? Um, mm -hmm. In a sense, it's, it's kind of like... You have a child and you set your standards in the home and your child goes out and, and do something and brings shame on the family, right? So behind all of this is this idea of honor and shame, right? Where you bring shame on the family um, because it says, if someone, a stubborn, a stubborn and religious son who will not obey his father or mother and does not heed when they discipline him, right? So there's already an, an, an attempt to bring the child in line, right? Because the child is, is disciplined, but the child will not listen to father or mother. Then it becomes a communal issue, right? It, it becomes a communal issue, right? Where the parents did it, the parents administered um, discipline, but then the parent, the, 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 the child didn't listen, and then it goes to the community. On, on one hand, it kind of take this, the, 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 the punishment, the admission punishment from the parents because who'd want to stone their own child or have to do it themselves? Um, so it kind of removes responsibility for 
taking one the life of one's own relative and place it in the hands of the elders of the town, right? Um, it, it's, it's still hard to understand, but one of the ways I try to understand this is when I think about Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, right? The Matthew chapter 18 principle where you, if you have an issue with someone, you go and talk to them, right? I try to make sense of it by reading that, right? Where someone ha you have an issue with someone, you go and talk to them. Um, if it doesn't work, you take two persons. If it doesn't turn, it doesn't work, you take it to someone else and then you take it to the church. It's kind of like this, this expanding circle, right? And so I, I kind of try to make sense of this because it's, it's difficult. How do you give your child over to be killed, right? But it's, 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 they're, they're operating under the code of honor and shame, right? And that was more important to, 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 to them than anything else, right? You dishonor this family, you dishonor this shame, it is worthy of death. I mean, it sounds primitive, but it, it's what it was for them. It's what it was for them. And today we might we might spank the child. We might say, um, put the child in an institution. Um, mm -hmm. If the child is not following our discipline, it, it's it's a it's a step down from from killing the child. But it, it mm -hmm. it's it's hard. It, it's just it's it's horrific when I read some of these I things. Know. It's it's hard to really make sense of it. But you can see where they're defending their honor and they're defending their, their, their um, the shame that has been their their punishing the shame that has been brought upon the family by the child. So mm -hmm. it, it's really hard. It's it's really hard. It's it's difficult. And you mentioned one key word I think you mentioned was it's almost primitive because um I think it is important to mention to to keep in mind the time. Uh, you know when we think about so when you read this you automatically naturally start. A, comparing it to today and could we do something like that today and while today it seems kind of unimaginable to ever think to do something like that at that time it was mm -hmm. the norm people were yeah. stoned for i mean what we would think of just ridiculous reasons yeah so yeah. Um, so if there's someone who they've tried different ways then stoning to them is probably the only way at this point so um I think that's always important to mention when we think about, uh, you know, something that they're doing here that we can't quite understand and grasp in 2021. Um, so, so, oh, just noting time, um, we're going to jump to Deuteronomy 24. So this, you know, I really wanted to touch on. So 24 verse four says, the first husband may not marry her again. So uh, just to go back a little bit. So it's 24, one through four. Suppose the man marries a, a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he takes a document of divorce, hands it to her and sends her away from his house. When she leaves his house, she's free to marry another man. But if the second husband also turns against her, writes a document of divorce, hands it to her and sends her away, or if he dies, the first husband may not marry her again, for she has been defiled. That would be detestable to the Lord. You must not bring guilt upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession. So it's basically the question is a divorced wife cannot remarry her former husband? So let me, let me read as it is. Mm -hmm. This is really patriarchal, right? Um, this is a woman living in a man in a in a male-dominated society, and and I would think 
where where is the woman's right to say the man so the text says because he finds something objectable with with her if the woman found something with um, um, objective with the man. What was her place, right? What 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 was her right to do? What could she have done, right? Um, so I, I really want to push back on this a little bit. Yes, it's portrayed right here as religious, as as law given, you know, given by God to Moses to the people. Um, But I want to think that this was this was really, really, really framed from a, a, a male standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. um, there, there's nothing referencing how, and I, I'm just reading the text just to see what is there and see what's not there. It says nothing about mm -hmm. um, how a woman can relate to a man who, if if she marries him and finds a husband displeasing. Um, and they give they, they they give really no reason as to why it is abhorrent for um it is this distasteful for for, for um um for that for a woman to be married in God's eyes. It says for that will be um distasteful to the Lord, and you shall not bring guilt on the land the Lord your God has given you. So I can read this as males giving religious authority to their to their perceived power over over women right mm. we, we can we, it can be read that way right right mm -hmm. because there's there's and i'm go, go, going back again to, to to genesis they were made equal right and so we, we have to read this in light of in light of of that god made them male and female right god made made both of them there's a there's a problem with this for me, right? There's a problem with this text for me. I have a big problem with this text because where's a man's accountability? Where is he held accountable if he is objective to to the, to the woman? So the idea is, can a divorced woman remarry her former husband? According to this, not, right? Um, for me, are there good reasons given? Um, what does it mean for a woman to be objective to a to a man? Um, I have a lot of questions about this. I have a lot of questions about this as I read this. Um, and it's one of the disturbing texts for me as I read this passage. Um, so in, in, in my humble opinion, um, I divorce, let me go, let me draw on um, Hosea, right? God t tells the prophet to go and, and take... Binder. A prostitute, right, as it were, and it 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 reminds us of God's relationship with us as we continue to fail, as we continue to fail, as we continue to fail. Jesus would say of this that it is the hardest of this man's heart why um, these things kind of happen, right? Mm -hmm. And we spoke about compassion earlier. Where is the compassion in all of this, right? Yeah. So this is this this is a Mari text for me. Um, but if I'm thinking of it through Jesus' eyes and thinking about it as, as a prophet with Hosea, mm -hmm. the, a, a divorced woman um, um, can remarry. 
right? A divorced woman can can be married. Um, that that's that's simply how I'd say it. That's simply how my reading of the text and how I read not just this one text, but how God deals with male and female relations throughout the Bible and how we are perceived as this new creation in God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And Isaiah is a good one to mention because if I'm not mistaken, she runs away from him and he has to go find her and get him. And um, I don't know, I don't, I can't recall off the top of my head how much that verse went into, but if she was previously a prostitute, I would assume that's not an easy habit to break or easy lifestyle to completely leave. So the fact that God then tells him to, or the prophet tells him to go get your wife, go get her. Um, it, it, it's an interesting um, comparison for this verse as well. So on that note, on that very interesting question, we are going to wrap up episode nine of Bible Unmasked. Um, so I want to just thank everyone for, you know, for being here with us this evening. It's been a very interesting conversation on Deuteronomy 1 through 25. Uh, so now I want to make sure everyone prepares to read the next one for next week. That will be Deuteronomy 26 through Joshua 7. That's also a very interesting book. I started reading a little bit into Joshua and there's a lot to impact there as well. Um, a lot of, a lot of faith and things like that as well. So, um, if you, as you're reading through Deuteronomy 26 through seven, feel, again, as I mentioned before, feel free to text your questions to 954-388-8780. Um, another key point is to try to read a little bit every day. Um, what happens is if you try to do it all at one time, it becomes a lot to digest. You can't get everything, um, you can't really mull everything over truly and truly think over everything. But I, I, in my personal experience, as I've read a little bit each day, it gives me a chance to kind of reflect on it and then be able to think how that relates to what I'm reading now. So that's, uh, I think that's a very important piece of advice to try to read a little every day. If you have um, on YouTube, I know there's audio Bibles and the you the Bible on your phone has audio Bibles. So if it's easier, just, you know, do the dishes and listen to the Bible at the same time. And then you start to take things in as well. Um, so next week, you'll have Pastor Joe and LaVon Brown, and they'll be answering any of your questions. Um, and just really quickly, just for a one-minute synopsis, Pastor McCoy, what can uh, the viewers expect to, re to be reading about when they read Deuteronomy 26 um, through Joshua 7 next week? All right. So we're going to find that I mentioned earlier how the book of Deuteronomy has elements of the Hittite vassal treaties, um, and a, part, a significant part of those treaties were blessings and curses. And, and we found, we, we're going to find in, in the chapters coming forward, something uh, of um, a, liturg a liturgical standoff, right? Um, on one hand, we have so, on one mountain, per people echoing the blessings, and, and, and on the other, we have them echoing the curses, a kind of a, an antiphonal kind of it's it, the images of a worship setting right blessings and curses and we're going to find that and then we're going to find um some hymns coming after some poems about moses so this is going to be a very interesting read as moses um uh encourages joshua and prepares him to take leadership and lead the people into the promised land so it's, it's going to be an interesting read coming coming forward very nice well we want to thank you for your time, Pastor McCoy. Thank you for unearthing uh, some of the things that have been buried <laughs> that
that you only can find out when you speak to someone who's knowledgeable in the Bible. So thank you for your time. Thank you for educating us and the viewers on everything that's really happening in Deuteronomy 1 through 25. Um, Pastor McCoy, could you just pray for us? And then we will close out this episode of The Bible Unmasked. Covenant-keeping God, you who kept your covenant with Israel, we pray that we, your people today, will be true and faithful to the covenants that we have made with you, the covenant we have in Christ. Bless us so we can be faithful and true to you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you and see you next week. Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible and Lost. Read your Bible daily. Join us every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked.